morning, church family. Take your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Thankful for the time of prayer for Ukraine and pray for uh, the leadership of that country. Pray for our leadership uh, as a nation and decisions are being made uh, many times uh, on the hour. I mean, constantly changing that whole dynamic in that part of the world. Be praying for God's will to be accomplished. Pray for the church in Ukraine. Pray for those leaders who are leading their congregations to to stand firm and stand tall and be a light in a dark world. And when the darkness is pervading on every front, the church, it's an opportunity for the church to stand up and boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an awesome opportunity the church has. And uh, let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I was talking to one of our missionaries, uh, Pastor Elijah Marar and his wife Claudia and their son Chris that are in Romania. Uh, the other night, I was I was messaging him late at night and texting him. He was uh, just getting up for the day, and I said, uh, "What did you know, brother? We're praying for you." And he said, "Literally, there is bombing happening about 16 miles from the Romanian border." So immediately, I start googling. Uh, you know, the maps of that area of the world and seeing all of these countries that are bordering Ukraine and bordering Russia and, and what's happening in that part of the world. And, and a church, a church, we have a, an opportunity to pray for the power of God to be displayed in such a time of evil. And it's during those moments that the church really has an opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ. So be much in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, Romania, Moldova. Uh, Crimea, all of that region of the world, uh, the church in Russia, uh, that they would be faithful to the Lord, and that uh, what an opportunity to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. I want to uh, thank, it's the last Sunday of our series uh, on Greater Things. Uh, we'll continue the theme throughout the year, but the actual sermon series wraps up this morning. I appreciate Pastor Matt uh, bringing the message last Sunday on worship. And it was neat to see how God uh, orchestrated and tied all of that together. And we're aren't you thankful for how God has blessed our church family with Matt and, and Jana. Let's give them a hand this morning. And uh, all of the, the worship team and band and uh, sound and audio-visual uh, crew. Uh, somebody was just sitting here uh, talking to uh, someone this morning. They said, man, it's amazing how much God has done in just a short amount of time here in our church and we're in the middle of a pandemic, folks. And uh, you, let me just say, for those of you that are still watching online that haven't had an opportunity to be here in person, you are missing out. I mean, you can't get the same sense. Last Sunday, Matt, we were watching you on the uh, winter retreat with the students. And uh, there was, everybody was watching, uh, and uh, uh, as you were preaching, I mean, I think they were—I think they were all paying attention. But we were all watching, and, and but it, it's not the same feeling as being in the room uh, with the body of Christ and worshiping Christ uh, as a uh, as a church body, and just the, the feelings, the the emotion, the the excitement of experiencing the presence and power of God. And if you haven't visited uh, in person, maybe you're watching today for the very first time. Uh, be our guest and join us in person in the coming weeks. We're looking forward to what God is going to do. I appreciate uh, Pastor Jackson uh, leading our our winter retreat for our students. And uh, they, I think we have a picture somewhere of a, cr- a crazy group of students. And uh, they had a great time uh, worshiping God and uh, a great time studying the Word of God. And 
uh, spending time together. They probably know more about each other than they care to know. Uh, sometimes when you get away on one of these retreats, you get to experience that. And what an awesome job. They all did a fantastic job on the ski slope. Uh, all of those years of being a youth pastor, uh, I, I feel like I'm, you know, 21 again when I'm out there on the ski slope. And uh, uh, one night, one moment, we were standing out there, and uh, I said something to Jackson. I was like, can't these kids all go to school, ski school? I said, I feel like I'm drowning in all the kids that still need to learn, learn how to ski. But they all got it, and they all worked hard, and uh, most importantly, they all grew in their relationship with the Lord and in, in relationship with one another. Then this past week, our pastoral staff were on a retreat. Uh, and we got a chance to spend time on our knees praying for our church, asking God for clarity of vision and direction, and asking for Him to move in our hearts and in the hearts of each one in this building. And uh, it's exciting just to see how God, sometimes even in worship this morning, I, was, I love those moments where you can just be still and hear the voice of God. And sometimes in our world, I mean, I'm guilty of this as well. Sometimes, you know, I don't like those moments of, uh, of stillness and calmness because, you know, you're, you feel like there's so many things to do and you can easily get into a, a rat race of life and constantly be changing. And, you know, we, we watch our kids and they're always on their phone or on a, on a tablet and things are constantly changing. But sometimes we need to be still. And, and I told the guys, I said, getting away, Christ got away in the mountain to pray and to rest. And a pastor's wife told my wife one time, she said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep. And uh, we started laughing. She said, no, seriously, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep. And she said, Christ got alone to, to rest and to pray on, on the days of creation, on the seventh day, he rested. And sometimes the greatest things we can do is get away and, and stop and hear the still, small voice of God and, and know that he is God. And what an awesome privilege. Thank you for the church to allow us to, the opportunity to get away for a few days. And I uh, had a, a great time just getting to know uh, Jackson and, and Matt better and uh, just to see their heart and Church, we are truly blessed as a congregation to have men of God who have a passion to see lost souls come to faith in Christ. And they are investing in this generation and the next generation. And they have a heart for seeing our city led to faith in Jesus Christ and grow as disciples. And so we love, look forward to sharing more about what God is doing. So we look into our text this morning. Acts chapter 17, we're going to begin in verse 16. Let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. Paul is there in the city of Athens as part of his second missionary journey. And we're seeing God is giving him a platform. And folks, when I think about the platform that the world has right now to see God at work and see God on display, it's an awesome time. And uh, Paul goes into this beautiful city of Athens. He's sightseeing, and instead of you know being impressed with what he saw, verse sixteen tells us he was distressed to see that the city was filled with idols and they were worshiping false gods. And and so we see uh, an ancient writer tells us that at the time there were over thirty thousand gods in Athens. Paul's spirit was moved when he saw these idols and. Instead of leaving the city and complaining to the officials, verse 17 shows us that he went to work. His, he spent time both in the religious centers. 
He spent time in the marketplace. And the text says that he did it every day. He would get out into the the workplace and see where people were and the, the struggles that they were facing. And verse 18 says that some of the philosophers wanted to debate with him. The Epicureans in that time were atheists and uh, they denied God's existence. They didn't believe in the afterlife. In fact, they're, they were content to just live for today. We might call those materialists. Their motto was eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And uh, folks, there are still lots of Epicureans, people that have that same mindset today in, in our city and in, in Wake County and Johnson County, Harnett County, there's lots of people that have that mentality of we're just living for the moment. We're just living for today. and We're living for ourselves because eventually you're just going to die and and that's all there is to this life. They're they're atheists. They don't believe in in God and the existence of an afterlife. Then the Stoics were pantheists and they believe that everything is God and that he does not exist in a separate entity. And so uh, they believe that the rocks and the trees and every material thing are, is a God. Their attitude towards life was one of ultimate resignation. They prided themselves on their ability to take whatever came their way. Their motto is grin and bear it. And apathy was regarded as, as the highest virtue in life. And maybe you know people like that today that were kind of going through life maybe after two years of a, of a pandemic Maybe you're feeling apathetic towards the, the, the world and you're feeling apathetic towards what's happening in the news. And I'll be honest, the best thing you could do is delete those apps off your phone, all right? And, and just delete them and, and block it out for a little while. Why? Because I'm telling you, if you sit there and watch the news moment by moment, play by play, and I've got to turn off some notifications on my phone. Anybody else got to do that? Because it's It literally grieves your spirit when you see what's happening in real time around our world. But folks, take heart. This is not the end, church. In fact, the Word of God gives us clarity that we're living in a time, which I believe is the last days. The Word of God says that there will be wars and rumors of war. And folks, over the last several months, We've been hearing of rumors of wars, and today we have, are seeing wars being waged on a continents around our world. And folks, that is exactly what the Word of God says will happen in the last days. And folks, so we can take heart in knowing that, but these people were atheists. They were, they were pantheists. And, and, and so we, we see, as we look at the Scripture this morning in our text, Paul has an opportunity or a platform to share his faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to look at the last part of verse 18, and we're going to dive into our text. Some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Talking about the Apostle Paul. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to Arius Pagus, saying, may we know uh, what this new teaching is that you're presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. The Epicureans, who were atheists, treated Paul with utter disdain. In fact, 
Uh, they, the word babbler is literally means a seed picker. And, and what they were saying is they saw Paul as a bird who would swoop down and just scoop up little bits of truth or little seeds all around the city. And they didn't take what he was saying seriously and, and listen to the message of hope and salvation. They saw Paul as a babbler, and it wasn't, uh, that wasn't a good uh, a way of viewing him. Paul was little more than a collector of fragments of truth, and, and they dismissed him. Maybe you watch a lot of cable TV, and maybe you watch a lot of, listen to a lot of uh, talk radio, and everyone's always talking about, you know, what's happening around our world, making, uh, you know, thoughts and guesses about what's going to be the next move, or what's going to happen here, what's there. And folks, if we're not careful, we can become consumed with the talk of the day, and miss the most important thing, that Jesus Christ is coming again. He is going to return one day to take his church home. And folks, we have to be ready. Don't let us get so confused by the circumstances of what's happening that we miss the soon coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the Stoics were interested in their theology. They had room for additional gods. When I traveled to India, uh, many of the people of India worship multiple gods. And so one of the challenges that we encounter there is getting them to, to worship Jesus as the only one true living God. Not I'll add him to 15 or 20 or 100 other gods, but I will worship him exclusively as the only way to get to God. These people brought Paul before the Supreme Court of Athens. As the only Christian in the city, he was asked to explain what he believed. Some of you might be sitting here this morning or watching online and saying, Pastor David, I kind of feel like the Apostle Paul at times. I look around my office and I'm the only one who claims to know Jesus Christ. Anybody else feel that way this morning? I walk, I look around my, my community, my neighborhood, I look around my school and I feel like I'm the only one desiring to live. I'm the, I'm the Joseph amongst all of his brethren who's gone the wrong way. I'm the only one, the Daniels, who's willing to stand and, and do what's right. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of the Old Testament. And folks, sometimes it can feel lonely. Sometimes you can feel afraid or feel like you're all alone in, in this situation of life. But the, they brought Paul before the Supreme Court of Athens. They asked him to explain what it was he was believed. Talk about a First Peter 3.15 moment of be ready always to give an answer of the hope that's within you with meekness and fear. Church, what an opportunity Paul has to stand up before the Supreme Court of one of the most intelligent, highly intellectual cities and share Jesus Christ is the only way to a relationship with God. Paul is preaching the gospel in the intellectual capital of the world. And his words are clear, concise, and to the point. If you call Raleigh Durham, Chapel Hill, if you call the Triangle home, do you know that you live in one of the most well-educated cities in the entire nation? 
In fact, there are more PhDs per capita in Raleigh-Durham than anywhere else in America. You're like, wow, I just thought I was doing good to make a C in school. I didn't know I was so sneaking smart. And so knock, you know, nod to the person right beside you and look at them and say, I'm smart. <laughs> this dude right here is, is smart. I live in one of the smartest places to live in America. And, and so, but think of the opportunity. Think of the platform that it gives us to share the truth of Jesus Christ. They bring him before the, the Supreme Court. It's one of the most dramatic scenes in the New Testament. As Paul is preaching the gospel on a world stage, more than that, it shows what it means to become all things to all men. When Paul understood, he says, I want to be all things to all men, that I might reach some with the gospel. Paul stepped right up. It said, let me take this opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. He shared the truth of the gospel with that reservation. We know that Paul, as a Jew, could speak to his own people. But folks, here he was standing before an audience of Gentiles who have never heard of Jesus Christ. Standing on their turf at their invitation He starts where they are and uses this opportunity to preach the gospel. And folks, as we read our text this morning, I want us to see Paul's approach is a model for you and I this morning to share the gospel, share our testimony, to share and be a witness for Jesus Christ in the world that God has called us to minister to. So look at, first of all, he says, be courteous. If we want to follow Paul's lead... We must be courteous. The first thing we need to do is to share Jesus Christ and and do so in such a way that it leaves a a good taste in people's mouth. Be courteous. Verse 22, he says, Paul, standing in the midst of um, Arius Pagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. I love this. Sometimes people say, Pastor David, I, I like watching you in action because you always have a, a great way of just, uh, uh, not smooth talking, but a, a way of making the gospel plain and simple for everyone to understand. And I think, well, I've had a lot of experience because I, I, all those years of preaching to teenagers, folks, I can tell you there are many, many times I'm sitting out there staring at a room filled with teenagers that are 15, 16, 18 years old, 19 years old, and they're looking at me going, I dare you to impress me. <laughs> I mean, they're, they've watched so many videos, and now in the age of social media, they're watching TikTok videos that last 10, 20 seconds, and you're up there standing up there in front of them going, uh, I don't know what I can do to impress you, that, and I'm not going to jump from one building to another. I'm not going to jump off a cliff and, and, and risk my life. I'm not going to do stupid things for the sake of getting likes or, or views or hits or whatever, subscribers. And, but the reality is, is, folks, people need to hear that Jesus Christ loves them. So be courteous. He says, I perceive that in every way you're religious. Paul started right where they were. He didn't denounce them for their idolatry. In fact, he paid them a compliment. He basically said, in a way, I was, I was listening and reading through this. He says, as I've been walking around your city, I've noticed one thing about you. This city is very religious. He was making a compliment, but he was reaching them where they were. 
He was using it as an opportunity to, to create dialogue. And, you know, the reality is, is our words matter. Whenever we choose to open our mouth, it matters what we say because you can either shut down an opportunity for future growth of ministry or we can create an open line of dialogue that will lead to future expansion on the gospel and sharing the good news of Christ. So he, he never would get another chance to do this. So to Paul, the Athenians were like blind men that were, that were groping in the dark towards a God that they didn't know. But he wasn't going to make fun of blind people. Nobody would do that. That's ridiculous. So Paul is saying, I perceive that those of the city of Athens are very religious. And, and you know what religious people like? they like, well, thank you. I mean, they're patting themselves on the back, high-fiving. I mean, man, we are. He, he nailed it. I mean, we are super religious, and we're, we've got this whole thing down. And, but you cannot insult a blind person. And so he begins by saying, he says, I've come to, he didn't come saying, I want to expose your sins, you dirty, rotten, idol-worshipping, you know, evil, uh, heathenistic people. No, he says, I've got an opportunity. He says, and I see, I perceive that you're very religious. I wonder this morning, are you courteous? Are you courteous with that, that the, the uh, uh, family member that you're trying to reach with the gospel? Or are you always pointing out their shortcomings? Or are you saying, well, I'm telling you, you're going to go to hell. You're going to spend all of eternity in hell. Folks, that's probably not a good opening line. Uh, you're trying to reach your neighbor, and you walk it out and say, man, I'm telling you one thing. Uh, every Sunday when I leave for church, I mean, you and your family are still asleep. I mean, you're going straight to the pit. I mean, let me, that's probably not a good, I don't open up by telling my neighbors I'm a pastor because it's a, it's a showstopper. I mean, I mean, the moment you tell them you're a pastor, I mean, suddenly they're like, oh my Lord, I moved into the wrong street. I mean, they start thinking to themselves, we can't have a party. I mean, a pastor lives right beside us. We can't do this. I mean, the pastor lives across the street. In fact, one Sunday, three or four years ago, one, we had a new neighbor that moved in on our cul-de-sac and they came to church and she says, I had no idea you were the pastor. I was like, well, thank God, because I mean, probably you wouldn't have spoke to me after that and it would end ended all future conversations. And I don't mean that in a bad way because eventually we're going to share the gospel. Eventually we're going to hopefully be a good witness and a testimony to help lead them to faith in Christ. But it's not a good opening line, so to speak. Paul was being courteous. I think that's also how the early church operated in, in Acts in the city of Jerusalem. They were thankful because they understood the grace of God and they wanted to extend that same grace to others. And, and it's obvious in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see what happens is as we're courteous and building relationships, God begins to open up doors of opportunity to share our faith. Non-Christians wanted to hang out with the early church. They understood that there's something about that group of people, and they wanted to, they wanted to get to know them. I want morning to do non-Christians feel the same way about you and I? Do they feel the same way? Do they feel like we're someone they can come and talk to and? and share their burdens or share their, their needs, their concerns about life. Then secondly, we see not only be courteous, 
be contemporary. Some of you are thinking, oh, p- contemporary pastor. I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm, I'm 65 years old. I'm the law, furthest thing from contemporary. Just listen to what I'm saying. Because what he's saying is Paul is saying he was courteous when he dealt with people who had a different worldview than he did. But he was also contemporary. He would establish some common ground with the people he was seeking to minister to. So if he would walk into a setting of of farmers, he was going to use agricultural terms in order to build a bridge to minister to those people. If he was dealing with fishermen like Peter, James, and John, he would use terms of the sea in order to build a relationship and establish a bridge to the gospel. And folks, the same thing is true with us. We've got to be contemporary in the sense whenever we see people, you've got to meet them where they are and build a relationship so that you can hopefully lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. He was courteous. He broke down barriers. But he was contemporary and he built bridges to the audience in which he was speaking. Every time I've had the privilege and, and opportunity to go overseas and, and represent our Savior and, and this church preaching the gospel in foreign countries, I always take time when I get there to notice the landscape, see the, the, the types of things that are, are near and dear to the people's hearts. If, they're, if it's an area that's big into coffee, when I go to visit Pastor Omar and he lives in the city of Matagalpa. I mean, there are coffee plantations everywhere. I mean, you want to show up with a coffee mug in hand. I mean, an empty one because you want their coffee. And, and you get that coffee and you, you brag on them. And I'm telling you, they'll give you coffee to uh, pack your whole entire suitcase full of coffee to come home. And they'll, they'll, from time to time, Pastor Omar, in fact, he's wanting to come. He's coming up here in March uh, uh, next month. And uh, so he's going to come up towards the end of the month and uh, he always brings a bunch of coffee in, in his suitcase for this. But you find something in common. When you go to India, you talk about things that are near and dear to their hearts, and you're building bridges to build a relationship. In verse 23, it says, For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul uses something that's prevalent in their culture, and I'm going to talk about the background on it, but he uses it as a bridge to the gospel message. Paul was out where the people lived and worked, and he hung out with them, and it's important for several reasons. If you, he would tell the Athenians that Paul had, had taken time to get to know their city. It, it showed up in the way he conducted himself, in his message. He was talking about the beautiful city and how educated they were and how religious they were. And he says, I've noticed something as I'm walking around. All of the altars that are built all over the city of Athens. And he's, he's talking about, he's taking time to get to know their city. And folks, it's, if you want to have a relationship, you've got to get to know your neighbor. You've got to get to know the people around you. And he tells us at this point, all found a natural point of contact He looked for connectors or bridges. And and in missions terms, it's called redemptive analogies, uh, which are cultural or traditional beliefs that the missionary can use as a springboard to explain the gospel. So as he walked around the city of Athens, he saw altars to 
every conceivable deity. Historians tell us that Athenians built altars not only to their main gods, such as Zeus and Aphrodite, but to abstract concepts such as justice, modesty, energy, and virtue. And even in America today, we are building monuments and, 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 and things to all these different things in our culture that we think are important. But as Paul toured the city, he came upon an altar that had a strange inscription. It said, to an unknown God. And there were a number of these altars around the city. So uh, what, what's the, the story on that? The background is several centuries before a, a plague had hit the city, and a man named Cyprus, a man from Cyprus advised him, he says, take a flock of, uh, of black and white sheep to Arius Pegasus and, and let them go. And wherever the sheep would, would stop, they would kill the sheep and offer them altar. If there was no altar nearby, they would build one and they would dedicate it to the unknown God. The plague eventually lifted, but the altars remained. And eventually Paul found one of these altars and he used it as an opening illustration. Think about for a moment, there are 30,000 altars in one city and still they weren't sure there was even enough. There were more gods. They were looking for more gods and more things to worship. And folks, when you don't know the true God, you're always turning to false idols. You're looking for something that's going to bring satisfaction and fill that God-sized void in our heart and in our, our soul. And so Paul is using this as an example. Some of our friends and neighbors have uh, those God-sized holes in their own life and and maybe they're trying to fill it with, with money and prestige. And maybe they're trying to fill it with position and power. And, and folks, as we will watch what's happening around the governments of this world, it all is about power and prestige and, and money. And, and, and people are trying to make their way. But Calvary family, I wonder this morning, are we spending time with enough time with non-believers? Are we showing an interest in the things that interests them, that will build to a relationship, being contemporary, to re- build a relationship that we might lead them to faith in Jesus. This morning we see he was also cur- courageous. Not only was Paul courteous and contemporary, he was also courageous. He was bold in his proclamation of the gospel. We don't have to time to go through every single verse and in depth of, of this passage. But what I want us to notice is that Paul was bold. Look at the last part of verse 23. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying, let me tell you who the unknown God is that you don't understand. Let me tell you the God who can deliver you from a pandemic who the God who can deliver you from the struggles of this world in 2022. Let me tell you the God who can fill that void in your heart and your life. His name is Jesus Christ, and he loves you so much. He took your place on an old rugged cross where he died and he was buried, and three days later he rose victoriously from the grave. He begins to share the goodness of God. And the phrase, uh, when he talks about the unknown God, it literally means in ignorance. He didn't call them ignorant. They wouldn't have understood it that way. He says, let me tell you about this unknown God, the one that you don't understand. And folks, 
He, he must admit that there's a God they don't know. They've just said there's a altars all over the city to a known God. He says, I happen to know that God. Let me share the story of hope and salvation. And it's a tremendous evangelistic strategy. Paul, uh, how could they be offended when he's literally quoting from one of their own altars in the city to the unknown God? He took that as a bridge to share the truth of Jesus Christ. How many times does God give us divine appointments in this life where someone asks a question and you have a bridge to share Jesus Christ? Church, don't shy back from that. Be bold. Use that as an opportunity. Don't just say when people say, well, I'm telling you, I'm worried about what's happening in this world with, with Ukraine, the, the Ukraine. Uh, and and then, it's not, I've talked to a missionary from Ukraine. He's like, don't call us the Ukraine, <laughs> which Ukraine. And he says, well, but people say, I, they're worried about what's happening around the world. God's word gives clarity of what the last days is going to be like and say, you know what? I'm not afraid because I know my future is eternally settled forever forever in heaven. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you too can have that same confidence. And so he says, finding common ground. It doesn't mean compromising your values in order to share the gospel. Be found a way to gain a hearing with these highly intelligent people. And folks, the same thing is true in our own lives. Be ready to listen be ready, ready to read, be ready to study a people for the sake of evangelism, watching them, observing, paying attention to conversations with coworkers, with friends, with family members, and using it as an opportunity to share Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, He has eternity in a man's heart. Eventually, every single person on planet Earth is going to think about the life after this one. They're going to think about the afterlife, where we're going to spend eternity. Sometimes it may not be the 16, 18, 21-year-old. They think they've got the world by the tail, so to speak. But eventually, something's going to happen in each of our lives that make us start worrying about the future. My dad, after he retired several years ago, was a, a chaplain at a retirement community. And he said, I want more people to faith in Jesus in about a year and a half's time at a retirement home, he says, than in years of being a pastor. And it wasn't that he didn't preach the gospel because he did every single, every single day and in the pulpit every single Sunday. But he says something about when people are getting to a stage of life where you realize, I don't have that much longer on this earth. People will start to think about the future, about eternity. And look where we're at this morning with Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine is people are asking questions. They're asking what's going on. You take them to the truth of the word of God and show them how they can have assurance of salvation. Then as God opens the door, look what Paul did in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. He says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What's he saying? He says, God has given us everything we need. 
He then establishes the fact that God is near enough for us to reach out to him and to find what we're looking for. If you look at verse 30, it says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to do what, church? Repent. Paul didn't shy away. He was courageous. He was valiant. He, he stood up and Bill Bright said this once. He says, instead of assuming that people don't want to hear the gospel, try instead to assume that they will be interested in the good news. Your friend may have just gone through his circumstances where they're now prepared. It's prepared their heart to receive Jesus Christ. God may have been leading them into the awareness of their need for truth. Perhaps they have felt especially alone or in need of God's love. You see, what happens is, as we step up in courageous pursuit of those who are in desperate need of a Savior, we can share the hope that lies within us. And then we see, lastly, be Christ-centered. You see, it's not enough to just be nice to people and spend time with your neighbors. There's got to be a point to the conversation. You have to get to the truth of the gospel. Sometimes I'll have lunch with people and I'm never just having lunch with you just because I'm bored and have nothing to do. There's always a point. And you say, why is it? Because I want to help bring you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. I want to encourage you to take steps in your faith and grow in a deeper relationship with God. And so there's always a point. So get to the point. The point is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We miss verse 31. He says, because he is fixed today on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who is that? Jesus Christ. So not only was he courageous, he was bold and he got to the point, this is about Jesus. Be Christ-centered Paul was not afraid to speak of an inescapable day of judgment. We're all going to stand before God one day. What are you going to give as the reason for which God should let you into heaven? Why should he allow us into? He didn't shrink from sharing the truth about the resurrection of Jesus, even though he knew many people there in that day didn't want to hear it. Friends, we must not shy from speaking the truth of Jesus He is the only way to peace with God. And folks, people have to believe in him in order to be saved. There's only one way. Paul said it strongly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, for Jews demand signs, Greek seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. As a body of believers, we ought to go forward this morning knowing who we preach, knowing who we represent, Knowing the truth of the gospel we have within us, we've got to share it. As God gives us opportunity this week, speak boldly for Christ. Tell people about his death so that they understand that Jesus died in our place. Tell them about the resurrection so that we can have hope for eternity. Tell them about the love and the peace and the joy that will be theirs once they surrender their faith to Jesus Christ. I really like the way Paul's model is for effective evangelism because, you see, the order is significant. In order to start with being courteous, folks, it must lead to being 
uh, contemporary and building bridges to the gospel, praying for courage. But ultimately, our goal is to point others to faith in Jesus Christ. I've got to see the mission to make disciples. Folks, it permeates every area of our lives. And I love his, his example. Evangelism is a spillover. As we bump into people, we begin to share our story of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Say, so, Pastor, what's the application? If you go back to the text, people responded to Paul's message in three ways. There's at least three reactions we see the first response is found in verse 32. Some were contemptuous. When they heard about the resurrection, they sneered. There's no way. I'm not going to believe. I'm telling you I can believe in 30,000 gods, but I'm not going to believe in that one. I don't believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. People sneered at the, at the truth of the gospel. But the second response is found in the latter part of verse 32. Others were curious their appetites were whetted for they were looking for truth and they wanted to hear more. What is it about the gospel? What is it about Jesus' life that is so transformative, folks? Jesus loves us and he died to take my place. But you see, there's also a third response and it's found in verse 34. A number of people were convinced and friends, sometimes we can spend all of our life worrying about how people are going to respond to our sharing our faith. But folks, some will choose to follow Christ. Some are going to choose to follow Jesus Christ. Let me share something with you. How people respond to the gospel is God's responsibility. Think about it. How people respond to the gospel, that's God's job. We're just the messenger. We're just the, one, the vessel he uses. If you remember the verse I shared earlier in our text in Acts chapter 2.